Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. everybody welcome back to another episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast and this time it's finally turkey season in alabama and georgia and mississippi and florida and we got a guy that we've been trying to have on for like two years now mr chris jenkins chris how are you man hey i'm doing well andrew uh good to be on yeah great to have you on uh jacob how are you doing doing great didn't get out today man but i'm fired up for this conversation to get me more fired up for this turkey season dude so let's uh, jump on into it 
Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Yeah, great. Well, I'm, uh, I live up in uh, north Georgia, in, in basically the northeast corner, right, where uh, Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina all come together. And I definitely recommend that as a hunting tip for anybody live where states come together because uh, I can hunt any of those states in just about the same drive. So it, it makes for some nice opportunities. But anyways, I live up in, uh, I live in Northeast Georgia and uh, during uh, my day job, I'm the uh, CEO of a, of a nonprofit that does wildlife conservation work, uh, heavily focused in the Southeast, but really also across the country and uh, even a little bit internationally. Uh, and then I'm also the uh, chairman of the Georgia chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And I've been on the, the regional board uh, for the Southeast chapter for a um, good number of years now as well. So, Yeah, and that's how me and Jacob both met you. Uh, we were at a board member like retreat for the Southeast chapter of BHA. And that's where we met you and figured out what you did for a living. Uh, you do a lot of work with rattlesnakes and stuff, correct? I do. I'm a I'm a, a rattlesnake expert. I'm I'm a snake doctor. I actually have a doctorate in uh, snake ecology, and and I you know focus my graduate research on on uh, rattlesnakes out west. So so yeah, that's uh, you know our organization is called the Orian Society. Uh, we do work on all kinds of reptiles and amphibians. So frogs, turtles, snakes. But personally, yeah, I'm a I'm a snake ecologist and. Uh, you know, I love, I love snakes just as much as I love turkeys. Yeah. When we were at that retreat, I remember me and Jacob had a conversation with you all about snakes that I would dude, it, it would have made such a great podcast. Uh, and I don't want to get too deep into it cause we'll run with it, you know, but, uh, I'll, I'll get, I, I gotta get, what is your number one tip for like turkey hunters? Uh, as far as like during the springtime, how do they, you know, not get snake bit? Like what, what should they you know, look for to avoid or, or just what, what's a good tip for people out there? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd say is this is just a general tip, but you know, don't let snakes or any kind of irrational fear that you have paralyze you. I mean, go out in the woods and enjoy it. Your chances of getting a snake bite are very, very low. You know, you're, I was out Turkey hunting this morning for the George opener by far the most dangerous thing I did was drive there, even though it was beautiful weather and, and I'm sure there were some snakes potentially on the surface. Um, so first of all, don't be paralyzed by those fears. They're, they're, uh, the, it's, it's really just blown up. It's, it's irrational. I mean, you do, um, trust me, you do not want to get bit by a venomous snake. They'll make you very sick potentially. It has the potential to kill you, but the chances are really low of getting a bite. And then even if you do the chances of, of, uh, dying or very, very low. So I'll start there. But then um, I, you know, I have different, I do seminars uh, on snake safety and snake bite treatment, you know, all over the country. I did one last year at the rendezvous at, at uh, BHA rendezvous. And, and I have kind of different recommendations for different types of hunting. Um, but I do see turkey hunting as one of the higher uh, you know, the higher intersections with venomous snakes of the different types of sporting. I mean, there's certainly people can bump into them, but typically down here in the South with most deer seasons, 
you know, you won't be seeing a lot of venomous snakes. But turkey seasons, generally, when the turkeys start gobbling, it's in time with the snakes, um, you know, starting to come out from their, their overwintering. So there's definitely a pretty good overlap there and something you should consider. And uh, so the one thing I recommend is just wear a pair of snake gaiters or snake boots and then don't think about it. You know, I mean, you know, obviously as, as turkey hunters, we all sit on the ground quite a bit. You know, as you're coming up to a tree, just do a quick look uh, before you sit down. But, you know, I go with, I, I spend a lot of time hunting turkeys and real remote areas and doing big hikes. I use real lightweight gators. Uh, they're made by a company called Turtle Skins. And, you know, I can, I can bring those anywhere. I roll them up and backpack them into wilderness areas out west or fly them down to the Amazon for work. And um, they're just really convenient. And uh, they'll even help you walk it through brush. So if you do that one simple thing, I guess two simple things, put on a, a light pair of snake gators and then look before you sit. You don't even have to think about it. You just think about turkeys. Yeah. That, that, those are some good tips. Uh, those, um, uh, what'd you say? Turtle skins, right? Correct. Those, uh, yeah. My buddy Clay just got some of those and I was seriously impressed with them. Uh, like just how lightweight they are. I, I can't believe they're snake proof. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and they work. I can tell you that from experience. I was uh, a couple of years ago, I was back in a wilderness area here in the Patahoochee National Forest, and we were actually out doing snake surveys, but we were on a trail and, and you know, really doing some miles quickly between sites. And uh, I ended up stepping right on about a four, four and a half foot, really large timber rattlesnake. And it turned and it hit me right in the shins. And uh, and I, I was wearing those gaiters and I still have the photo. You can see right where the, the venom mark on my shin on these gaiters and the drop running down each side. And uh, and I'm still here talking to you. So, yeah. Oh, man, that's crazy. Uh, so so that's the snake stuff. Now we'll get into the turkey stuff. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about some early season turkey hunting. Uh, I'm sure we'll go over our, our recent hunts and you just killed a, a turkey in Mississippi. So we'll go over that. And we got a particular subject that has to do with that Mississippi Turkey that Jacob got all kinds of fired up about when we were talking about this before we started recording. <laughs> Jacob, do you want to, uh, kind of expand on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can kind of jump right into it. Uh, when it comes to, you know, what you took to kill it, Turkey, Again, I'm probably by far the one of the one of the worst turkey hunters that even listens to this podcast, let alone that's on the show at the moment. So, <laughs> you know, I, calling's not my forte. You know, I'm a I'm an okay woodsman. Uh, you know, kind of compared to to I guess general population. But you know, my thing is I've always wanted to talk to somebody that can kill birds or has killed birds and has experience killing birds as what we call bushwhacking. Uh, where you put your woodsman's ship uh, to the test and, you know, close the distance without making a bunch of noise uh, and killing a turkey. And that's exactly what you did. Uh, at least that's what you told me earlier on. So I'm excited to kind of get into that story and figure out what it took to kill that turkey on a, uh, on a piece of public land in Mississippi that, I, you know, is known for you know, pretty good uh, hunting pressure. I know that. And, uh, you know, being successful out there. Because that's one thing that, again, I would love to be better at and figure out how to bushwhack a turkey. And I think a lot of new guys out there, uh, you're going to find this very interesting, um, but I think that's pretty cool. But Chris, before before we jump into that and kind of go about, you know, your Mississippi hunt, what's your background when it comes to turkey hunting? And like, you know, how long have you been doing it? You know, do you 
have you always done it on public land or what's your background when it comes to turkey hunting? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been hunting, you know, since I was a, a young child, you know, and I'm in my mid forties now. So, um, as a, but I didn't, but I didn't hunt turkeys as a child. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think when I began turkey, but it was, it was certainly in college. And, you know, so I've probably been hunting turkeys for, yeah, I don't know, 25, 20 some odd years, uh, you know, a good while now. And, uh, I grew up, uh, actually in, uh, New England. Don't hold that against me, but, uh, <laughs> and then I, uh, and then I lived in the Rocky Mountains for uh, quite a long time. I uh, had a had a nice speaking of that, I had a nice turkey hunt last year in the Rockies, shot a couple of uh, Merriams. But but anyways, and then I've been living down here in the South for uh, for about ten years, a little over ten years actually. And uh, and I just I love it down here. It's uh, I feel like I you know feel like I came home you know. But but basically you know so I've been hunting turkeys for twenty some odd years. Um, you know, I've been hunting turkeys very intensively for the last, let's say, 10 years. And when I say very intensively, I mean, I, you know, I get out almost every day of the season and I go, you know, I'll be hunting, I don't know, I hunt like five to seven states a year typically. I'll kind of start off with an early season. I used to come to you guys, come to Alabama, but um, that season date got rolled back. That's what brought me to Mississippi this year. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then I come back here and I hunt Georgia and, and once I, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't necessarily say once, but oftentimes it's once. Uh, but once I shoot my Georgia limit, then I move on to, you know, kind of either North Carolina or South Carolina, and then I'll kind of finish up late season doing some, uh, Northern hunts where, you know, I'll go up to places like New York or Vermont, somewhere like that. So, um, so yeah, so I hunt turkeys pretty much as intensively as you can. I know there's some guys out there, you know, I see Dave Owens, I know you had him on, you know, he's got me on days, but, but I'm pretty close to that. You know, I'm hunting somewhere in the ballpark of 50 ish, 50 plus days a year for turkeys. That's awesome, man. So yeah, you started out your season in Mississippi, uh, hunting some public land over there. Why don't you walk us through how that hunt went? Yeah. So first of all, uh, you know, Mississippi has some great uh, public land and uh, in preparation for that trip, I uh, connected with a, a great guy who, who you guys know, Josh Watts. He's the uh, he's the BHA uh, rep down there in Mississippi. And and he he gave me some good advice and he actually uh, advised that I put in for the uh, the draw in, in the in the wildlife management area that that I ended up harvesting this bird. And uh, so a lot to him. And uh, my plan was to to actually hunt for a week down there. But, you know, with everything that's been happening, uh, you know, with the virus and and uh, prior to going to Mississippi, I had been uh, I had been on the road. I'd been in Okefenokee and out in coastal Georgia and a variety of places. And so I had this real urge to get home. And uh, so I ended up just hunting turkeys really for, for two days and kind of a brief morning in Mississippi. And so that's part of what led to, you know, a real aggressive approach. You know, and I, I don't think I, I probably would not have killed this turkey, at least, at least in the way I did at the time I did, 
if I hadn't been in that mode of really wanting to get home quickly just to, to deal with things on the home front. So, so anyways, I, uh, you know, I, I drew this hunt. Uh, there's a, a series of wildlife management areas in Mississippi and you can uh, put in for those hunts. It's like a lottery draw and, and I happen to draw one of those. And I have some buddies from Georgia and Alabama and, and uh, we all kind of met down there and they had different parts of the same national forest. And, and uh, I was so busy. Uh, usually I like to be prepared, but I was so busy. I was going in blind. The only thing I had done is about two weeks prior, I had gone on my, you know, on my Onyx on my phone and I had uh, just kind of dropped a bunch of pins, places that I thought, uh, you know, I wanted to key in on. And, um, you know, a lot of those were uh, creek bottoms. And I'll talk about that in a minute when I talk about the hunt. So that was one of the things I keyed in on. I also keyed in on for some backup uh, you know, I keyed in on places where, where public land uh, was adjacent to to private land that, you know, that looked, you know, had a lot of open country fields and things like that in case, uh, you know, in case it got a lot of rain or I felt the need to really hunt close to that private. And uh, so anyways, I dropped all these pins and, you know, I showed up in camp. I rolled into camp and all these guys I know were there. And I'm literally dressed up coming from business meetings, rolling in at like 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And, and, uh, you know, I haven't, I've never set foot on this forest. So I'm going in completely blind. And, uh, the first morning, uh, I just, I had this really interesting piece of public land picked out that was actually a very narrow, long sliver. And, uh, but it was surrounded on all sides by, um, you know, open private ground. And and this isn't characteristic of how I hunt. Usually I hunt turkeys, you know, mainly I hunt them in the mountains up here, very remote. But but uh, given I was going in blind and I hadn't seen the ground, I, you know, I decided to go in this sliver the first morning um, just because I knew there was all that open private ground around. So I went in, didn't hear a single thing. Uh, you know, I, I half expected, I knew Mississippi turkey hunting would be hard, but I half expected you know, to go into this national forest and just hear, you know, four or five gobblers just sounding off at daylight. And I didn't hear a thing. And, uh, you know, so I was, I came out of there pretty quickly and there was, I didn't see any turkey sign either. And, and uh, kind of did a little bit of a, a driving scouting mid morning, the, fir- the first day, just to get a feel for the land. And uh, the land was, if you've, if you've watched the, uh, the, the last three episodes of the hunting public that just came out on, on their Mississippi hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, that is exactly what it looked like. I actually, uh, I'm guessing that we were in the same unit there, but uh, so I was driving around and basically the country was, you know, a lot of big pines, uh, relatively well managed, certainly could use a little more prescribed fire, but um, relatively well managed uh, a lot of RCW or red cockaded woodpecker clusters. So, um, you know, again, we're talking big pines, kind of open forest, but then they were intersected by these Creek bottoms um, and the Creek bottoms were expansive and just uh, huge hardwoods and really, really open. I mean, some of these places, no exaggeration, you, know, you can see four or 500 yards. So, <clears throat> Uh, anyways, on that first day, I kind of did this this drive around the national forest scouting, and 
and I figured out where I wanted to go in. I was going to go in for the afternoon and, and uh, I pulled into a, to a, just a kind of a trailhead and I was parked there for a few minutes and uh, I was just having some water. And all of a sudden I heard this, I heard this gobbler sound off way in one of these Creek bottoms. Um, but way, you know, you know, a good ways from where I was sitting. And, uh, so I ended up packing up, kind of went, went through the pines as you know, the, those open pines with the, you know, relatively well burned and kind of got to the edge of this Creek bottom. And, and, uh, the bird hadn't said a thing. I heard him gobble two or three times, hadn't said a thing. So I got into the bottom and, uh, you know, I just started kind of working my way around slowly. Um, and that's another thing and we can talk more about that, but when I Turkey hunt, I'm typically, I, there are certainly times that I sit, but there are times that I'm very active and I'm really trying to take in everything. Um, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at the plants and I'm looking at just everything. And so, uh, so I, f- I found very little Turkey sign in there, but I finally found one set of gobbler tracks. And uh, so I worked my way, you know, I did a big loop through there and it was getting pretty late. So I came on out and, and uh finally i went in on another trail right before dark and i uh, kind of uh came in from the other side of the creek and uh i got to a good listening point and you know just did some owl hooting just trying to uh trying to roost a bird and and i ended up getting to about 200 yards from this bird and getting him roosted and knew exactly where he was and uh which was great i was obviously pretty excited for the morning <laughs> and uh so then i hiked back out and uh i didn't even want to go camp so i just i just camped right there i just slept at the trailhead i didn't want anybody <laughs> i didn't want anybody coming ahead i do that but that's usually how i camp you know um uh, you know i have everything in my truck i either have a tent or i'll sleep in my truck or i'll just sleep out on the ground and um but oftentimes i'm usually sleeping where i'm gonna hunt the next morning <clears throat> and so uh so anyways i i'm uh sleeping there i get up which was a good move because i wake up and you know i'm getting my gear together and at that multiple trucks are driving by so um you know and somebody had been in that particular trailhead that i i slept at the the morning before so anyways go into this gobbler and i mean i know right where it is almost to the tree and i get in there and uh, I set up in the dark and, uh, you know, just like clockwork that, you know, you just start to get a little bit of light and, and he just fires off. And then another one fires off. And so there's two of them going and they're, I mean, the closest one is, you know, probably 75 yards from me. Um, I'm looking at these trees. I couldn't see the bird, but they're right in front of me. And then I start to hear, um, I start to hear some uh, hens clucking off to my left so probably about 100 yards we're kind of in a triangle there's me looking at these two gobblers that are roosted and then at the third point on the triangle to my left say another 75 or 100 yards is a group of hens and there's multiple hens you know they're doing some tree yelps and just clucking real softly and so once typically when i'm sitting so we talk about calling versus bushwhacking you know, I, I don't call, I, I do call quite a bit, I guess, but I'm not, I'm not a person who just sits there and hammers on the calls, you know, all the time. So I, I typically, if I'm sitting on a bird 
and, and the roost. I rarely call them. The situation like that, though, where where I have some hens, you know, I'll start to do some some light yelps and some light clucking, uh, you know, if everybody's talking. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I start into that process. And both of these gobblers come out of the roost away from me and they land, you know, they're, they land basically pretty close to their trees. So say they're 50 to a hundred yards away from me and they're, they're sounding off, but they're going away from me um, into this, up this swamp bomb. And then remember I was telling you, I mean, this thing, you know, in the thick area, you can see a hundred yards. I mean, it is wide open. And so they're out ahead of me. And, and I, the hens come down and the hens are moving to intersect the gobblers and they're all kind of moving up the creek valley. So I get, I'm behind them, really not even calling. I'm, I'm pretty much kind of following them, listening. Um, you know, I, I, eventually the hens and the, and the uh, gobblers come together and there's one gobbler that's kind of, uh, it's kind of falling behind, you know I mean? One gobbler's right in where I'm hearing the hens call. Another one's kind of back. I don't know if it was like a subordinate male out in the, out in the fringes, if the, the other one had kicked him out, but there was definitely one gobbler that was, that was out more. Um, and that's not the one I killed. I ended up killing the, uh, you know, killing the, the one that, you know, had a run of the hens. So I'm following these and this is going on for quite a while, you know, 45 minutes or so we've gone hundreds and hundreds of yards like this where I'm going tree to tree. Sometimes I can see him in the distance. I can definitely hear him. And then I eventually get to this, they kind of quiet down, but I assume that they're still moving. And I get to this place where there's a, a small patch, real small patch. I mean, we're talking, you know, real small patch, not even a quarter acre, but just this tiny little patch of really young trees. Um, and so, I mean, super thick. We call them whips. So I, 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 I hustle up and I get in the middle of this patch. I don't quite know where the birds are. And um, I'm hunkered down and just listening. And all of a sudden, both of them sound off. One of them's like 40 yards from me, just outside this patch. And the other one is the other direction on the other side of the patch. So I'm, they're all around me and I don't know where the hens are. All of, you know, I'm listening and trying. I can't see any of them because it's so thick. I'm in the middle of this this little thick spot, and I end up uh, all of a sudden down the creek behind me. I don't know how the hens ended up there because I was moving through there. It was really open, but I start hearing hens calling, and and just because of their location, I mean these are these are yelping really loud. Like I almost I thought it was someone on a box call for a minute, and. And again, because of their location, I, I guess like those can't be real birds. But it turns out it was the hens and um, at least a good group of them. And so what I did was I moved to the edge of this patch to try to, to, to prepare to intercept the, the bird that was furthest from the hens. One of them was, was close and the other one was far away. So he, I was figuring he was going to be moving to the hens. And when I did that, um, I get to that edge and I hear pop, pop, and uh, that turkey putts and I see it running away and I just, you know, killing myself. So that's one thing, being aggressive, trying to bushwhack birds. That's uh, you will bust a lot of birds too. And then, so anyways, to finish the story, I, uh, so, 
so I kind of go back into the middle of the patch and I'm hungry. I mean, I have turkeys all around me really close. And so I'm just waiting here. You know, I'm assuming the other gobbler's gone too. That you know, that spooked and but anyways, you know, a minute or two goes by and all of a sudden he ah, just sounds off again right next to me. And he's like 40 yards away. You know, he was in range. I just couldn't see him. And uh, but the hens are yelping like crazy and so he eventually moves off in their direction. I mean, he's still within 100 yards of me. So I, uh, I circle around this patch around the backside of it. I come out where I spooked that first gobbler. And, and the other gobbler's now gone the other direction. I kind of set up and, and I start calling, trying to compete a little bit with, with the uh, hen that's yelping. And um, I lose that competition very quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and the gobbler goes away. And then he gets quiet. And so what I did, and this is another thing I do a lot, turkey hunting, is, um, you know, patience. If you have the time. So I backed off. I went the other direction from the gobbler and the hen. And I just found a good tree and I sat down and I didn't call. I just sat there for about an hour. I didn't call. I just listened. I just wanted him to gobble again. And then I'd have a beat on him. Um, and I'd go try to get in his bubble. And, uh, so I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, about an hour after sitting there, you know, it's now mid morning, say it's like 10, I, I don't know, somewhere in there, you know, a croak goes and I thought I heard a gobble. It's kind of a weak gobble. And then like a half gobble maybe. And, uh, so then, uh, I, I was just listening a little more closely about five minutes later, it happened again, but for sure it was a gobble and these woods are so wide open. And I know exactly where that Turkey is. He's, he's right where I left him. He's right with that hen. And so I end up, uh, I was like, how am I going to get this bird? I'm not going to be able to call him in. There's, he's standing there with multiple hens. Um, and you know, he's, he's gobbling infrequently. He doesn't need to gobble. You know, he's, he's surrounded by women. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to get as close as I can. And so the Creek that, that formed this Creek bottom was pretty close to me. And it was about 10 feet deep uh, in terms of the, the banks, you know, and he was up on the, up on the side. And so what I did is I got into that Creek bed and I walked down the Creek. Uh, you know, I mean, he was probably, maybe 300 yards from me when he sounded off again. And so got out, got everything packed up, got into that Creek bed and I creeped down and I got to um, about where I knew he was. And I knew he was in this general area. And I, and then I kind of crawl out of the Creek bed and I had a, I had a big fallen tree that was laying across and I could crawl up behind it. So I crawl up and I peek over that thing and I just see him, fanned out he's strutting at like maybe 60 yards just kind of out in front of me but through the trees i look off to my right i see two hens walking about 100 yards away i see two hens right near him and so I, i'm in it now i'm like in the thick of it and so i drop back down and uh start to belly crawl and i crawl around this tree and i'm crawling towards him and he is, he has no idea that I'm even in the world, but he's moving away with these hens. And so we go on this, you know, it took probably 45 minutes of, of 
belly crawling through this incredibly open area and uh and then with him slowly moving away and he's not calling so i'm i'm looking for him strutting that's how i'm you know identifying where he is and trying not to get seen and so you know i might crawl 15 yards i'm looking you know i'm just looking up real slow wait until he fans out try to find him then get down and make another move so anyways i'm getting i'm gaining ground on him doing this and uh i'm just about to uh where i'm gonna shoot him and i can see him fan out i just have to get up next to this big tree so i belly crawl up next to this tree and i literally lay my gun out um you know getting ready to potentially make a shot if he comes out of strut and all of a sudden i hear i hear a putt right next to me and there's a hen she's probably 15 yards from me she just starts putting but kind of that not like not putting and running you know that like real curious putt Oh, she's yeah. actually coming. She's coming towards me and she's got about 10 feet from me and I and just walking around. So I'm I'm looking at her, but I still have my gun up towards the gobbler. And then she eventually works away after a couple minutes. And I look back and the gobbler's gone. And uh so you know, I, I back up a few feet, go around the other side of this tree because the gobbler was facing that direction. And luckily on the other side of the tree, it was really open, but there was a nice little patch of may apple, which, which some of your listeners may know. It's just a kind of a big ground cover plant, like these big umbrellas and grows in these patches. And so I could crawl out into that. And so I crawled through this may apple um, and got to the edge of that patch. And that put me uh, you know, it put me about 10 yards closer and, uh, I just rested the bead on him and he was in strut. Seemed like it took him forever to come out. And then, uh, and then finally when he came out of strut, I, you know, I just gave a cluck, a uh, loud cluck and, and he kind of lifted his head a little bit and, and, uh, let him have it. So that was, a that was a story. I will say it was completely bushwhacking and, I have bushwhacked a lot of birds, but I, but I do want people to know, you know, that that is not my primary method. You know, I would not, I'm not here kind of advocating the bushwhacking method for <laughs> hunting turkeys. I mean, I, I, I call turkeys just, you know, more so. And, and, you know, in that case, that was just my only way to get that bird. And I was in an aggressive mode because I knew I wanted to get out of town to get home. And, uh, you know, so another day, if I had four more days, like I was planning, I probably wouldn't have done that. Cause the other thing that your listeners obviously need to, to consider if you're hunting public land and you're going to do that type of hunting, you know, it can be dangerous. I mean, hopefully everybody knows what they're shooting at, but if you're crawling around on the ground, being really stealthy, moving in on a bird, I mean, I'm confident I'm not going to shoot a person. I never would shoot anything I couldn't identify, but, um, but you never know. And occasionally I might be calling. So my point is, is the safety piece there. Um, that's always worth thinking about if you're going to be actively pursuing a bird. So got a little long winded there, guys. Sorry, but, uh, I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> One thing I'm, I'm really kind of interested in is, you know, kind of seeing how much patience it took to kill that bird to actually crawl as much as you did. So one, one question I have for you, I, I've crawled on birds before and it's, it's never fun. Never, ever, ever fun. Um, 
But what does it take for you to like be able to when when you were crawling in on that bird? Which again, I've I've ran into a guy. I actually had a guy uh, crawl in on me uh, one of the first years I ever hunted public land. So definitely, you know, uh, I believe like you were saying, you know, always do with precaution. You know, try you know be safe uh, in the in the environment you're you know you're hunting in. But when you're crawling in on that bird, what all did it take for you to slip in on, especially with other turkeys around? I mean, I know you said you're watching him, but I mean, were you still taking consideration where the other turkeys are at and just trying to put a tree in between you and them when you're crawling? Or what was that like for you? Most of the hens were with him. You know, he had, I don't know how many, let's say three or four hens right around him. Um, but I did have a couple of hens off to the right that I mentioned when I first started the crawl. Um, and one of them may have been that hen that, that came in close. Um, but I'm definitely, uh, it, it's an interesting balance because yes, before I make every, it's not a constant from at least how I typically do it. It's, it's like in stages, like I'm like, I'm going to that tree, which is 10 yards away. And then I just do it and, and I'm crawling, crawling. And then I'm real slowly peeking up and looking around and it's this, it's, it's this balance of being very aware uh, of where all the birds that I know about are and just like having that, just going for it, just having that courage that, yeah, I mean, when I'm moving like that, no, I'm not like scanning all around me and, and looking for birds on the sides. I mean, I'm going for it. I'm going for these 10 yards and um, I very easily, um, you, you know, could have a bird off to my side that I don't know about that blows the whole thing up. And, um, but, you know, I just have that, it's like the, you have that courage, like you're going to do something big, you know, jump off a big cliff into a river and you, all of a sudden you do it. It's kind of like that. I'm looking around and I'm like, uh, okay, go. And then I, and then I'll move and then I stop. And, um, and I do that quite a bit. I like to, I like to get, I, I, you know, I, I move around on birds quite a bit, even though it, you know, some people may not think it's the safest thing to do. Um, I mean, I, I would love to call everyone in perfectly, and I certainly call a lot of them in. But but I, if I'm not, if it's not working, I, I go to them for sure. One thing I will say is that you mentioned that I think is real important is, yeah, I certainly use the cover. You know, so like I, with that um, gobbler, I would I would always put a tree between me and him, and then I would be belly crawling, keeping that tree between us. Um, so I'm definitely, especially in really open areas like that, or, or being really conscious, you know, I mentioned that patch of may apple, this, this kind of like foot, two foot tall green plant, you know, I mean, I didn't have to go in that. I went a couple yards out of my way to go into it because it would get me farther. So obviously very conscious of the cover I'm crawling through, trying to use trees to, to block my movements. Um, so, so yeah. Well, it's just, again, it's, it's fascinating for me. I mean, I, I really find that interesting. Along with how good, much of a woodsman you have to be to be able to sneak in on a bird, be able to read body language, and understand how to use terrain and vegetation to your advantage to be able to bushwhack a turkey. Because especially in open terrain like that, I mean, that is so tough. We were in Oklahoma last year, and I tried to do that uh, twice on two different birds, and it, it was so tough trying to get close enough to them. Uh, in some of that open terrain, uh, which was a mix of, you know, river bottom and, uh, and cattle pasture. But, you know, one thing that, again, you mentioned earlier on, which I'd like to kind of touch on, is how much you said you pay attention uh, to the surroundings, the vegetation, and everything as you are easing through the woods. So 
you know, explain a little bit more about that. What are you looking for as you're kind of covering grants that, you know, you're talking about being, I don't know if you want to call it more aggressive, but, you know, you're very much of a person you want to cover some ground, it sounds like, and, uh, you know, trying to work the bird, you know, however you can. So what are you looking for as you're trying to cover ground, uh, and especially to keep from spooking birds? Yeah, so uh, I, first of all, you know, I spend year round in the woods, you know, so I'm doing the same thing in deer season. I'm doing, you know, in the summers, it's usually with rattlesnakes. In the winters, it's more efficient, but I'm spending a lot of time in the woods year round. And so, I mean, when I'm in the woods, I mean, I'm looking at during turkey season, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on, on deer related things, or I'm, you know, seeing a snake. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a naturalist. I take everything uh, out there in. It's just like, it's my hobby and I love it, but I'm certainly obviously keyed into, you know, um, turkey related, uh, you know, sign and habitat. So, I mean, the first thing I'm obviously always looking for turkey sign. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously fresh scratching, old scratching, looking for uh, potential food sources, trying to assess, you know, say, is it, you know, is, is most of the food coming up in the in the creek bottoms early in the season and, uh, you know, obviously looking for tracks and looking for cover later in the season, thinking about, you know, nesting cover. Uh, so just, I guess I'm not articulating it well, but it's just like this, I'm walking through the woods and I've got this constant like narrative going through my head about everything I see and, and a lot, you know, and during turkey season, it obviously has a lot to, to do with turkeys. Um, but, you know, I'm looking for, for food and and uh, just, you know, I'm thinking about the landscape and how, you know, I'm going to approach uh, something, you know. So the other thing I'd say is I do a lot of my hunting, my turkey hunting in the mountains up in the Chattahoochee National Forest. And, uh, you know, it's very significant terrain, you know, big mountains and oftentimes you know to turkey hunt i really cover a lot of ground and um so i'm just very accustomed to that now i end up like when i go down to the the more low country of the south if you will you know i almost prefer that prefer like big large tracts of public land where i can you know really kind of do this like big woods style of of uh turkey hunting and, and and move quite a bit so so i don't know if i answered your question well jacob but i'm really taking in i mean i'm a tr i'm an ecologist that's what i went to school for so i mean i'm i'm anytime i'm out that's how i'm thinking about you know i mean it might be seeing water levels and thinking about how that relates to you know, i don't know what insects might be so i'm just kind of putting together this long ecological narrative that i'm using to, you know, in my hunting. And that's like, you know, that ecologist point, um, I, I, Andrew, you may have something similar. I know you're going to school in a similar field mm -hmm. uh, to me, but, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm going to, to learn about turkeys and I want to read about it, typically, uh, typically I'm not like reading a lot of magazine articles, for example, or blogs. I do obviously read that, but I mean, I read scientific papers about these animals and then, and then I interpret those in, in my mind and, and, you know, to help me improve my hunting chances and certainly with deer hunting, I probably do it more with deer hunting. Yeah, I can, I can certainly relate to that. Um, yeah, 
uh, ecology, I remember when I went through my first ecology classes, it, it really did change the way that I look at the woods. And I kept, I caught that you kept saying the word patch, and that is like, that's like <laughs> hammered into our heads in ecology classes, man. Like patches yeah, and corridors and matrixes and all that stuff. Anybody who's taken an ecology class probably probably caught on to that too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very uh, relatable to hunting. And, and I think thinking like an ecologist, you know, certainly can help you as a hunter. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're going over woodsmanship and stuff like that. Um, let me run a question by you. So let's say that you're in an area and you're finding plenty of turkey sign, just lots of scratch everywhere, like, you know, good flowing creek going through there. There's some green stuff growing, and you can just tell there's turkeys in the area. Maybe you're finding some tracks, but you just cannot get a bird to gobble no matter what you do. Uh, how would you approach that situation? First of all, I'll throw out another ecology term for you, but I, I think of turkey hunting as well as deer hunting in scales. And so um, at a very coarse scale, like my, my first big objective is to identify the general area that the turkeys are, which, which sounds, um, sounds, uh, <laughs> it sounds odd. Isn't everybody doing that? But, I, you know, I use very different tactics trying to figure out where they are as opposed to tactics I might use when I know where they are in a general sense. So if, if following your question, if, if, if I assume that I know where they are, meaning they're in a particular basin and they've been in that basin for multiple days and all the signs tell me that maybe I've heard them, maybe I've seen something. Um, I will uh, typically, and again, it varies a lot depending where I am, but let, I'm just going to say, um, it, let's just say it's here uh, in the mountains um, hopefully I already have it pinned down where they roost. Um, but I would typically for first light, I would get up high and, um, I would be above this basin and maybe a couple adjacent basins. And at first light, I would try to, to pinpoint where the birds were roosted that I thought were going to go to that sign. And, um, once I ended up you know, getting a bead on that, I typically move. Like I could be on a mountaintop and I, if I hear a turkey roosted on in some pines down in that basin, I will literally, you know, almost run sometimes to get to that area. So then, um, like most people, you know, I'll set up, you know, try to set up on those roosted birds. But uh, just assume, like you said, that that's not the case. And I don't, I know they're in this general area but I don't, um, I don't, haven't heard them, haven't seen them that day. Typically what I would probably do in that situation is I would go set up um, somewhere that, that I thought was, um, you know, ideal. And I would do some, uh, you know, I'd do some blind calling and, uh, and, you know, I typically, if I know they're in that area, I, I wouldn't necessarily leave it. I use a lot of patience and, you know, that's, that's a situation when I would do, um, blind calling and I've killed a good number of birds like that. I've killed birds that, uh, like that, that never gobbled, that just came in and, um, shot them like that. And on the other situation, you know, if I, I also do a lot of moving and calling, um, typically when I don't have a bead on, you know, where the turkeys are, like the scenario you just gave me. So, Oftentimes in the mountains here, I might pick like a big hiking route. I may pick like, oh, it's four or five mile route. And then I start out and I'm going, you know, from 
you know, say peaks and gaps and kind of following this ridgeline and calling at strategic points through the whole thing, trying to, to, um, you know, to identify where a bird is, uh, you know, if, if I'm kind of blind like that, but if I have a good spot and I know the birds are in that general area, um, you know, I'll stick to it and I'll be patient. I'll, uh, I won't overcall, but I, I'll go in there and blind call and, uh, you know, try to, uh, try to get something to come in. When you uh, go out and you start blind calling, how long do you typically give a set when you're blind calling before you move on? I will, uh, I'm just trying to think about that. It, it varies to some degree, but typically I, I might sit for an hour to two hours max. And then I probably would move on no matter what, unless I thought for some, you know, if it was like, I was sitting on a route back to a roosting area or something. I'd maybe stay longer if I thought I had a reason to intercept them late. But typically if I'm, if I'm sitting and blind calling, you know, it will, um, you know, I I typically wouldn't do it more than an hour, but sometimes I do incredibly variable. And, and, you know, I know this going into each day, how I'm going to do it. Some days for whatever reason, um, you know, I might, you know, I know where I live here. I know where there are a lot of turkeys, for example. I know where a lot of them roost, and I know, I just you know, I've been hunting for a long time now. And so, I'll um, on certain days, I might just go to an area. My whole plan for that day is to just sit in one spot. I, I don't do that frequently, um, but uh, but but so there are days I might sit in a spot for three or four hours. But that's not typical. Typically, I'm moving a lot. I'm calling a lot, um, but not you know, just trying to, trying to, you know, basically strike up a gobbler and uh, covering a lot of ground, um, you know, sitting and blind calling in areas that I, where I know there are turkeys. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've had, I've had some good, I've had some good success doing that and some, you know, some really remote places in the mountains, places you'd never think there were turkeys. I've gone in and, and struck some up in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah. Um, when you're like kind of running and gunning, trying to strike one up, uh, going from point to point, what kind of calls are you throwing out? Are you doing something like super loud and aggressive or are you starting out quiet and then kind of building up to it? Yeah, no, I'm certainly starting quiet. I'm usually, um, using something pretty loud, sometimes a box call or, um, I really like, uh, slate in particular and, um, so I use a lot of slate calls, um, even more than mouth calls, which I do use mouth calls as well. But, um, but anyway, so t- typically I'm using something that has the potential to be really loud, but I'm starting really soft. Um, typically just giving some, you know, uh, a few clucks, maybe, uh, you know, a yelp and, and then, you know, I'll wait a f- couple minutes, do it again a little bit louder, just kind of increase that progression and uh and move fairly quickly um and then but you know a lot of the times i'm really just listening i mean there are times like the mississippi story i just told you i didn't call and actually i didn't i didn't call when i was moving on that bird so when i was sitting there listening and then the whole stock i hadn't when i killed that bird i hadn't called in over two hours so anyways my point is is that there's a lot of times that i don't call too like in the mountains here i might go to a high point over like a whole series of basins and I might just, just listen and, um, you know, let the crows, uh, strike them up. But, but yes, when I'm, when I'm moving, running and gunning, trying to get birds, uh, you know, fired up in different basins, I'm ba- typically walking high ridges, 
Um, and, you know, pretty much in every gap and on every peak, I'm, I might kind of call off both sides. Uh, you know, I kind of will start low and, you know, I, I typically won't linger though. I'm not like sitting down. It's, it's quick, you know, I'm doing a, a series of calls and, and I'm, you know, just stopped at that point for 30 seconds and then I'm hiking up to the, to the peak and then I'm doing the same thing and then down to the next gap. So it's kind of a quick walk through in the landscape is typically how I'll do it. Now, when, let's say that you get one to strike up in that situation and let, let's just say like for a scenario, uh, you get up there and you throw some calls out and one hammers it like 200 yards away. What do mm -hmm. you do typically in that situation? Do you keep calling to him? And if so, what kind of calls are you making to him or, or do you just shut up and, and let him do his thing? Well, so the, the first thing is a lot of it's in the preparation. So every time I call in the woods, let's just say 99% of the time, but if, if I'm like moving and calling, like I don't just like stop in a random place and call. Like I'm, I walk into the gap and I go, well, there's a lar large tree, say. So I walk over to that tree and I'm standing there at that tree and call. So first of all, if something does gobble, because I've had it happen many times where it, it happens so quickly and you know that i it's like i've already picked out my spot just in case and so if i get a response i'm immediately down on the ground first of all so that's very quick um getting situated um i will typically uh kind of give it a second and and see if the animal uh just comes in i've i've had experiences one in particular i can think of up actually right here behind my house up on the mountain where I had that exact same thing happen. And I sat down and I just started hammering on, uh, you know, I think it was on a slate call and, and uh, the bird, you know, basically turned and left. And so I'll typically sit down, you know, and, and just kind of listen and be ready. Um, typically won't call too heavy, you know, maybe wait a couple minutes, then maybe call lightly. Um, not one, I don't typically call, really loud necessarily unless i feel like there's a need i feel like the birds are far away so typically like when i'm in a bird's bubble like that i'm calling tip you know real soft you know real soft clucks real soft yelps um, and so that that's kind of how i do it if the bird is really close but i'm definitely listening waiting ready uh, and again the prep meaning you know like as I walk in, because I'm, as I mentioned to you guys with woodsmanship, I'm already looking at everything. So as I'm walking into the gap, I'm envisioning how I would kill a turkey in that gap. And, you know, and so I'm, I'm already, as I'm walking, I don't even have to stop to pick out my location. You know, I move to the, what I think would be the ideal location. And, and that preparation, um, I do think is key because I'm sure you guys have had a hat where you're, you know, kind of getting a little, just kind of lazy. You've been walking, you're tired, whatever. And you, you let off a call and all of a sudden you've got a bird like, you know, 50 yards from you and you're just standing there with all your gear and disarray and nowhere to sit. So anyways, that's key is kind of just always keeping your head in the game and, and being prepped uh, to, to sit quickly. Um, but, but typically that's not how it happens. Typically when you strike a bird up, you know, in this mountain setting, it's going to, you know, it's not going to be at 50 yards. You're going to hear something way down in the basin. Yeah. Else, so. When you're looking for that spot to, to set up at, like, let, let's say you're going into a gap and, 
uh, you're like, okay, if I strike a bird up here, I want to be like in this spot. And like, obviously you want to be concealed, but is there something else about where you get up against a tree? Like, like, Hey, if I get up against this tree, he has to come right here to see where I'm at. Like, is there anything like that working into your setup that kind of hides you enough to make him come find you? Well, so what I typically do in this mountainous terrain. So first of all, is I hunt late. So, you know, I use that, I've got super lightweight vest. If you even call it a vest that like night and hail, I think they call it the running gun anyways. And, uh, it's just super lightweight. I, you know, I'm not carrying a lot. And, uh, what I'm getting at is I don't use decoys. And, um, so I don't, I'm always cognizant. It's just part of my looking at the landscape for a setup is that I don't want to like sit down in open hardwoods and have a Turkey come up on a ridge and have it be able to see 75 yards to where I'm sitting in wide open. So I'm, I'm always very conscious of the, of the terrain. And if you watch, uh, again, we, we talked about Dave Owens and the Kenhody project, you'll notice he does this type of thing quite a bit. Cause he's a, he's a really good mountain hunter. Um, but, uh, but you know, how you use the terrain and, and not, not sitting in this completely open area where a bird's going to come up and, and, you know, just be able to see for quite a distance. So I will typically try to set it up where the Turkey has to come when it first pops over a ridge, the, the edge of a ridge, say I'm on top of a ridge somewhere and it has to pop up the side that, you know, it'll pop up, uh, you know, when it pops up, it's in range, but it's not too close into range. And, and, you know, that all sounds kind of specific. It's, it's really not that tedious thinking about all this, but, but, you know, I would very rarely, for example, as I'm walking up into a gap, like pick the tree that's right on the edge of the ridge, or if I sit against it, like I'm literally looking down hundreds and hundreds of yards, you know, it's always back a little bit and, and back far enough that, you know, again, if a bird comes over, it's it's not going to literally be in my lap either. So um, using the terrain in your setups in the mountains is um, really important. Uh, and the terrain is, it's tough with hiking, but it's also, the, the mountain terrain is also really nice for this bushwhacking, as we were calling it, or, or moving around on birds in general, because there's just so much, excuse me, variability um, in the landscape itself. And that's really helpful. But again, uh, in your setup, thinking about the, the topography and thinking about a bird and what the bird's perceiving, um, especially if you're not using a decoy. Um, Earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that you normally hit your limit in Georgia every year. So what is it that you think that, that kind of helps you do that? Like kill, uh, kill a limit of gobblers pretty consistently in the state of Georgia on public land every year. What, what like certain attributes really, you know, make or break that season for you? Yeah. Um, so first thing I will say is that I did not do that last year, where it was the first year in a, in a number of years that I had. Um, but I will say, um, and it'd be interesting to, to see some comments from, from some of your listeners to this statement, but, um, Turkey numbers in the places that I hunt in Georgia have been going down in recent years. And in, in particular up in these, in the mountain counties where I hunt a lot, the last two years have been, um, 
you know, the numbers have been down. And I don't know if that's a short-term thing or, or there is something bigger. You know, people talk about Arkansas and, um, you know, and then you've got states like Georgia and South Carolina. I don't know what the thoughts are in Alabama, um, but I know there's, there's some thoughts that the birds have been declining and connect in other places. So um, anyways, it's a uh, bird numbers have been going down, but in terms of getting a Georgia limit, the first thing I'll say is that it's not like a, you know, it's not necessarily my goal to shoot the limit. It's just that I have to, um, I have to stop then. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, I, and, but there are a few things. First of all, I have a very flexible um, job. You know, I mean, I work an incredible amount, but it's also flexible enough where, you know, I can very easily uh, go out and um, and hunt regularly. There, there, so there's a, there's a number of things that allow me to hunt regularly. So, you know, I said I hunt 50-something days. Most of those days I'm also working, some of them for a significant part of the day, some of them for half a day. But I but, you know, I'm not just taking turkey season off. You know, I'm working all the time as well. Um, and so I have flexibility in my job, which is helpful. The other thing that is, is very nice is I live in a county that's basically 75% national forests. I live amongst the national forests. I mean, I can walk out my back door. I've killed multiple turkeys without leaving my house, you know, I mean, without in a vehicle. You know, I just walk out my back door and hunt. And so that makes it very nice. That makes it very easy to, to go do even a two hour hunt before I go into work. Um, so, uh, there's that, uh, you know, I would say persistence, like you just, I turn it into a lifestyle. Like hunting is not an event for me, you know, and, and I can tell you guys are, are like this as well. Listening to all your podcasts, you know, it's, it's a daily thing. I mean, it's, it's part of my life. Like there are a lot of other things, but I mean, it's, you know, the idea that I wouldn't get up to turkey hunt, you know, oh, I have a meeting at nine. Yeah. I'm still getting up to turkey hunt. I can only turkey hunt for an hour. <laughs> like I would not, I would just would not miss it. Like it's just automatic. So that helps that like persistence. Um, and then patience uh, is, is I think real important. This is kind of uh Maybe this is too theoretical, but you know, I think this way, certainly with deer hunting and, and also with turkey hunting, but I'm uh, hunting is about like a, it's the season to me. It's not like a hunt. Like I think a lot of people go out and they're going hunting that day and, and you know, if they don't kill a bird, it's a bad day. Or if they, you know, it's just like this very punctuated event. It's not like that for me. It's very, this very like fluid lifestyle. I do it every day and, and it's about building on itself. It's about learning throughout the season. You know, if I go out and, you know, I, I learn, you know, something and, you know, say I, I really screw something up on a bird one day, it's, it's not the end of the world to me. You know, I mean, I could get that bird tomorrow. And, and, and so I just kind of have that long-term perspective. You know, I'm not just hunting the first two weekends, then going to like give up on it. So shooting three birds in Georgia is most years, at least not that difficult. Cause I just kind of keep, keep doing it in terms of the mechanics though, to make it happen because I hunt so much in the mountains. Um, I, the years that I get the limit, which has been many, I normally have to get at least one bird early on 
uh, down in South Georgia and I've got a, you know, big property I hunt down there. Uh, and so, uh, it, you know, I usually have to, I usually have to get one there cause it's, it's hard getting, you know, these mountain turkeys are just, just really tough. There are fewer of them and, and, uh, you know, you can hunt all season and shoot three birds would be quite an accomplishment. So usually the mechanics, like if I don't get one in South Georgia, it usually won't happen. But usually if I get a, a turkey early on in South Georgia, um, then, you know, there's a good chance, I guess, that it'll happen. So, mm-hmm. uh, but usually I'll hunt, you know, I'll, I'll typically harvest, I don't know, three to five or six birds a year. Um, but, you know, a lot of those be out of state last year, I only harvested three birds and, and, uh, one, only one in Georgia. And, and, uh, you know, I basically, you know, it was like deer hunting turkeys. Um, and then I ended up doing a late trip, uh, with the BHA rendezvous. I did, uh, I hunted turkeys in Idaho and ended up getting two turkeys there in a few days, but, uh. But yeah, so it's not, again, it's not a goal. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm shooting for, to get three turkeys. It's just that I'm going to hunt from when I can hunt until I can't hunt. And it, it's just fluid again. Oh, I shot, if I shoot my third bird in Georgia, I don't even think about it. I had to go to North Carolina and then I'm just hunting until I can't hunt anymore. It's not, it's not driven by like, oh, I have to get three birds and then oh, I've got to shoot my two in North Carolina and and uh, it's just, it's, it's just, you know, I want to hunt basically from as early as I can in March until, you know, you know, into late May and however many birds I, you know, I could do that whole thing and get zero birds potentially, but there's just so much time in there that I usually end up being able to harvest a, you know, handful. Yeah, man. What you just said is so huge because I adopted that same kind of mindset kind of midway through last deer season and it made just a night and day difference for me where you know like you said going out and thinking of it as like as a season perspective not a hunt perspective and then also not getting so tied up and like man i gotta get one today like i've got to kill one right now if i don't it's a failure because then you know you put a lot of pressure on yourself going out there and this is like some philosophical stuff but like to be honest i think that this <laughs> like is like the most important one of the most important things that that goes into all this like hunting that we do this is probably the most important you know tip on this podcast that we're doing right now in my opinion is going out there and taking the stress off yourself and just relaxing and saying hey it's okay if i don't get them today but as long as i do things right and i learn then i'll be better tomorrow and dude, that, I mean, that literally changed my deer season. And I had the best deer season of my life this year, adopting that mindset. And I'm trying to bring that into turkey season as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important confidence. And, and like you said, just being relaxed and, and not stressed in the woods. And if it becomes a job to you, you know, you're, you're beating yourself up over it. It's like, why are you doing it? You know? So just, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I just try to enjoy it, and again, just make it part of my lifestyle. And I don't know, it's 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 been real good to me, and I enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah, just trying trying to learn something every time you go out. I guess. Uh, well, so, we're sitting at an hour and five minutes. Jacob, do you have anything else to add here? Yeah, I've actually I've got a couple of questions I'd like to kind of cover. Uh, one uh, pertains to what we were talking about earlier on in this episode. Um, which is, you know, kind of bushwhacking turkeys. Again, you don't hear about this from a whole bunch of guys. 
I don't think it's a super common uh, topic you hear on any podcast uh, for the most part. That's one of the reasons I'm very fascinated with talking about it. One thing I wanted to ask you, Chris, is to be able to bushwhack a turkey, you said you've done it uh, you know, quite a few times in the past and have had success doing that. But what does it take? What are you looking for to be able to de- close the distance without using calls to kill a turkey, especially if you're hunting you know, in the southeast inside timberland? Um, you know, kind of getting away from, you know, open fields. Well, one thing I'd tell you, first of all, I feel like it feels weird talking about this. So it's like, I'm going to be blacklisted or it's kind of a negative. <laughs> There's a stigma to bushwhacking. And again, I just want to stress the, the, um, being safe part. And actually, you know, some of this comes from the fact again, that I hunt in the mountains most of the time and you just know, you don't see other people. So I don't ever think about that. You know, would I be on a small WMA in South Georgia and crawling around like that? Probably not. But, um, but anyway, so, uh, there are some differences like, you know, I mentioned I didn't call at all to that Turkey in Mississippi. Cause if you think about what you're doing, you are, you're doing the opposite. You're no longer trying to announce yourself to the turkey and trying to get it to come to you. You're trying to sneak up on the turkey. And so, you know, you know, typically when I'm moving like that, I would, you know, I'm not calling. I'm trying to be silent versus, I mean, I guess there are other approaches where you could be moving towards a gobbler and basically, you know, pretending to be, you know, a hen and, and moving in his direction. But um, that's one interesting distance uh, difference. Um, and then, um, I'm sorry, your question was, what, what are the things I'm thinking about? Is that right? What are you doing? Like, what does it take to, you know, you said you do this quite a bit. You know, if a, you know, if a guy came out and the one thing, you know, he got on, you know, say a, a couple hinned up birds uh, mm-hmm. in some fairly open timber, kind of like what we see in North Alabama in the mountains, as well, you know, what do you do um, to be able to kind of close the distance? Kind of walk us through that a little bit more. Uh, so if a guy runs to a situation like that where he thinks, you know, it's a safe opportunity to be able to try that, especially in an opportunity where the birds are hinned up like what happened with you, um, you know, what are you looking for to be able to close the distance? You know, how are you looking about doing it? Are you all yeah. going to crawling? Are you using terrain? All that kind of stuff. Well, I'd say up here in the mountains, first of all, typically – I'm going to be using terrain. The other thing that's that's pretty interesting up here as say compared to like the Mississippi stock um, is that um, as you guys know, there's, you know, it's a hardwood dominated forest. So if it's, if the forest floor isn't wet, it's really loud. Um, And so up here in the mountains, first of all, I'd use terrain and I will often, if I'm like, say I'm like circling around on a bird, you know, using a terrain feature and trying to move up. And I know that I'm making noise. Um, oftentimes I will call as I'm moving. Um, so that is a little different than what I was saying about the Mississippi stock. Cause I was really, I was trying to be quiet there and trying to sneak up on them. But up here it is very loud. Um, and oftentimes again, I will, you know, call as I'm moving towards that bird just so it hears that noise and also hears the, you know, hears the hen and hopefully puts that together. But certainly up here, I'm using terrain as much as I can. There's just so much of it and there's so much opportunity to, to use that, to, to get around on birds. So that's, uh, you know, in the mountains, I'd say that's kind of the number one thing. If I'm, uh, you know, almost every move I make um, I'm, I'm using the terrain and I will do fairly, 
fairly drastic, significant things. These are a lot of mountain hunters do. Again, I mentioned Dave and Pinhoti, or if you watch like the untamed or any of these mountain hunters, I do the exact same thing. Like you might have a bird say on, on a point. Um, but for some reason, uh, your, your best approach on that bird is to circle down and lose 300 feet of elevation and go around and up another drainage and, um, you know, make a lot more work for yourself. Basically I do that type of thing all the time. Um, you know, cause I'm often trying to get at the same level, the same elevation or, or above the bird. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I'd say I use the train and I, and I'm not afraid to, you know, to make more work for myself or to make big loops that, that require a lot of backtracking and a lot of circling, a lot of climbing, uh, you know, the best route to a bird in these mountains, given all the terrain is, is usually not straight towards it. You know, another question I had was, you know, for a new guy, we've got a, we've got a lot of listeners to the podcast that come from all different backgrounds when it comes to turkey hunting, you know, some have been doing it for 25, 30 years. And you got a lot of guys similar to me, that are very green to it, or guys that's never even turkey hunted before, and this is the first season they've ever gone out. And uh, we actually get that question a lot, like what advice from our guests would they give to a new turkey hunter, especially guys that are hunting public land. So let me ask you that question. You know, with your, you know, your expertise, again, you've been hunting for, you know, 25 plus years for turkeys um, and have had a lot of success and, you know, very confident in what you do with the time you have. You know, what advice would you give to a newer guy getting into it to kind of start having success and kind of maybe shorten that learning curve for him or her? Well, one thing and a very obvious thing, it's it's certainly not something I've mastered, but, you know, I would encourage um, I would encourage people to, uh, you know, to to become a good caller, um, even become an average to adequate caller. You can kill a lot of birds being an average caller. Um, I think the, the woodsmanship piece is, is important. You know, I think if you're going to be a hunter, um, if you're only thinking of turkeys in a vacuum, you're missing a whole lot about turkeys, um, you know, taken in, you know, you should be, when I walk through the woods and I'm guessing Andrew, you're the same way. Cause just based on some things I've heard you say, like, I mean, like I'm a, I just identify trees as I walk. I mean, it's just like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like identifying every tree I walk by in my head and I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but, but learn the woods. I mean, learn, you know, how, how, how all of these things fit together. Cause it will help you incredibly um, on your hunting. And the other thing I would say is this, maybe this would be the tip that, that I would answer with is, is a word I've used a lot um, is patience. I think a lot of people in turkey hunting, uh, you know, always feel the need to move on. And I move a lot, as we talked about. But if I'm in birds or on birds, as I've talked about, I'll sit there all day. I mean, if the birds are there, they're there. And um, I'm sure a lot of you guys have had this experience, too, where um, it, it'll almost surprise you where, you know, there was a bird in a valley, say, in the morning that you're working. And you know, everything goes quiet. And, and because of that, you just kind of perceive that everything's gone. And then say three or four hours later, you hear that bird gobble in the same valley. And it's almost like shocking. So anyways, uh, I think patience is is a really important uh, thing to have with, with turkey hunting. Turkey hunting is like exciting and adrenaline driven. And so it, it and there's times to like, you know, run and, and do these things. But there's also times 
to just to just be patient. You'll you'll get there's there's a couple birds here and there that you will pick up and get, you know, by by having some of the uh, you know patience because uh, you know just because a bird stopped gobbling doesn't mean it's not there. Perfect. Well, Chris, man, we appreciate you coming on, dude. This has been absolutely fantastic. It was really cool to kind of see your perspective and finally get you on the show. Um, definitely, I'd like to get you back on again and talk some. Uh, deer hunting with us a little bit later on this year i know you're very experienced um you know white tail hunter as well um but man we, we really appreciate it uh if anybody has any questions or anything um maybe they want to hit you up on on social media um do you have a, a facebook or instagram account that someone can reach you at so they can kind of maybe ask you any other questions that could pop up yeah i'd say Instagram's probably the uh best place to find me and you can find me at dr c l jenkins uh and uh, you can also look me up on facebook as well all right fantastic chris well man again we appreciate it. hopefully a lot of people got a lot out of this podcast as i have and i know andrew has as well and again uh you know good luck the rest of your season brother and we appreciate it yeah good luck to you guys um i appreciate what you do and i uh, hope you uh, have a good season all right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in every week and uh, making this one of your go-to podcasts, to whether you're filling in on your work day or filling in on the drives to work or, or maybe you're listening on the way to the turkey woods. We appreciate you guys choosing us to listen to. Hopefully we're bringing you some useful stuff. A uh, couple quick things here. First of all, don't forget the uh, Southern Outdoorsman store is now live. You can go on there and get hats uh, the easy way rather than, you know, having to like message us or, or whatever, how we were doing it before. So make sure you go check that out. We would really appreciate it. Uh, on top of that, um, we put some feelers out on Instagram asking about what everybody wanted to hear about when it comes to turkey season. And you guys did not disappoint with answers. We got a whole bunch of different answers on all kinds of stuff. I was definitely surprised by the amount of folks that wrote in saying that they wanted to hear about beginner turkey hunt stuff. So uh, we're going to try and do an episode here pretty soon on like basic beginner turkey hunting. Uh, it might be a bonus episode. I don't. Or, here, here's what it's going to be. It's either going to be a bonus episode or it's going to be part of an outro. Um, I don't know if we'll do like a full Monday episode on it, but we will do an episode or a segment of an episode here pretty soon on basic turkey hunting. That should be coming in the next week. We're going to be covering stuff like, you know, really basic stuff like uh, difference between a Jake and a Tom, uh, locating turkeys, uh, you know, turkey hunting ethics, stuff like that. Everything you need to know to uh, basically go out and start hunting turkeys, uh, you know, if you've never done it before. Because I realize that some of the stuff that we're talking about, if you're really unfamiliar with turkey hunting, it can be kind of like real confusing, I'm guessing. So we're going to try and take care of that here within the next week before we get too hot and heavy into turkey season. Uh, other than that, if you have any more suggestions that you want to hear about, we also got a new email address that you can write into. Email address is uh, super, super simple. It's info at thesouthernoutdoorsman.com. So super simple stuff. Or you could just go to thesouthernoutdoorsman.com, go to contact, and reach us that way. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to do it. So just shoot us an email, whatever you want to hear about. Uh, we'll do our best to cover it. Another thing, uh, as you guys are having success this turkey season, send us your photos, and we would love to share those things. You know, we had the whole listener success story thing in deer season. We'd love to keep that rocking and rolling down through turkey season as well. Uh, and from the looks of it, pretty much everybody on planet Earth killed a turkey on Saturday except me. I mean, I got my butt whooped 
this past weekend turkey hunt. So hopefully you guys did a little bit better. Jacob unfortunately had to work, so he wasn't even able to get out. I got out on Saturday, and I did not even hear a gobble, so it was bad, and I hunted from daylight to 2 o'clock. So, if you're out there struggling in the turkey woods, don't sweat it too bad, because, man, me and, uh, me and my buddy Mark Turner, we um, we hunted from, let's see, we woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, drove like an hour and a half to the spot, reserved our spot, slept at the trailhead, and then got in the woods, got right beneath the hen, got to watch her do her thing when she woke up, which was cool. And then we hunted from then until 2 o'clock, never came out of the woods, and we did not see or hear another turkey. So that was pretty brutal. But it's a pretty good representation of what turkey season can be like. So if you are new listening to us and you're going out in the turkey woods and just getting it handed to you all the time, don't sweat it. It happens to the best of us. So I've been turkey hunting for like five years. I'm by no means a great turkey hunter, but I feel like I can usually get on turkeys. And man, I got my butt kicked. So hopefully that's not happening to too many of you. Last thing I'm going to talk about here, and then I'll I'll shut up and get off, is please, if you're enjoying this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you could share us with a buddy. If If you listen every week and you're liking what we're putting out, maybe our content is helping you. Maybe it's not helping you and it's just entertaining to listen to while you're at work every week. I know that I, I love listening to podcasts while I'm trying to get through the work day. So yeah, if you guys enjoy it, please share it with a buddy. That is like, we can't, we can't even tell you how helpful that is to us. You know, just text to a buddy, be like, hey, you know, if you want to try turkey hunting or deer hunting or something, maybe you should look at these podcasts these, these guys make. Um, that's a huge help to us as well as sharing it on social media. Social media shout outs are always like a huge, huge, huge help for us. And, of course, leaving us reviews on iTunes and stuff. Uh, those are all e- extremely helpful. So we appreciate you guys for listening, and we appreciate you guys who have already shared us. Um, we're really grateful for it, man. We love doing this podcast, love producing it every week, and uh, always look forward to the next episode, which will be uh, probably a bonus episode coming this week. So y'all keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, other than that, I hope everyone has a great and safe turkey season. We're going to keep rolling ahead. And like I said, right in with anything you guys want to hear about. We'll try and cover it. So good luck and good hunting, everybody. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. We're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.